Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God and specifically some of those keys. Keys to the kingdom. What are those keys to the kingdom? What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's an interesting statement. And that is the key to the kingdom of heaven. What you do on earth will make a difference in your life. And this is what Christ said. This is what Paul said. Does that mean that you're saved by works? No. No, you're still saved by grace. So what what value is works? Well, works will tell you whether you're going the right direction or not. Because the works will determine what your fruits are. And the fruits will determine who you are. Are you a goat or are you a sheep? You know, because Christ goes to a big, long discussion about goats and sheep. He talks about the goats being separated out, being put over in another group, and the goats being cast into eternal damnation. It's awful hard on poor goats, but of course that's a metaphor. It's not really what's, you know, God doesn't have anything against goats. I've raised goats. I've raised sheep. I've raised cows. I've raised children. I've raised all these things. And you'll learn a little bit about these things and a little bit about yourself when you do it. We had somebody here watching the sheep this spring, and they were surprised at how impatient they could be. (laughs) Good thing they, they weren't herding goats because goats will really show you how impatient you can be because they're they're always testing you they are herd animals they do stay together but they are also extremely independent i always say goats their good points are their bad points they're they're fiercely independent they'll go almost anywhere and they'll eat almost anything those are their good points and their bad points are is they're fiercely independent. They'll go almost anywhere, and they'll eat almost anything. So their good points are their bad points. Uh, I knew a fellow who uh, had goats. He was always such a soft-spoken fellow, you know. He was always like he was very patient and loving. And, and eventually he became one of these uh, meditation practitioners or something where they they get people and they talk to them and they relax them and they and they guide them spiritually into a state of relaxation before he became that though he was uh you know, did a number of jobs I won't say exactly what he did but uh he was very good at what he did and uh we would meet each other and have conversations once in a while our paths would cross and one day I asked him how his goats were doing because he was always complaining about his goats were causing such trouble here or causing such trouble there occasionally he'd ask me questions about what do you do about this and what do you do about that 
And he says, well, I don't have goats anymore. And I says, oh, you sell them all? And he says, no. I came home one day, and they were climbing up on the haystack again. They got into the haylot, because you always fence off your haylot to keep the animals out. And they climbed up on the haystack, and up there, you know, they'll eat on a little bit of hay, but then they'll, they'll defecate on the hay and urinate on it and ruin and spoil the hay. And so you can't have them just climbing up on the haystack eating it because they'll just destroy more than they'll eat. And he said, so I shot them off the haystack. So he evidently just went into the house with his very calm voice and got, uh, I don't know what his voice was like at that particular time, but he went and he shot all his goats off of the haystack. And I can't imagine they were standing around once he started shooting, so... probably quite afraid but uh, goats will try your patience goats are are not like sheep they are very different and so there must be a reason why Christ picked that metaphor of separating the goats from the sheep why did he do that why did he talk about goats and sheep And what was the real message of what he was talking about at that time? Well, it's in Matthew 25, 32, 46. And uh, it starts off, uh, well, actually it doesn't start off here, but we'll start off for the purposes of time. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. So there's some kind of separation that's going to take place that is like a shepherd dividing his sheep from his goats. And now we we separate sheep out. We don't have goats anymore. But we separate the sheep out by running them down a chute and then the ones that... uh, are to go one direction, we open up a little trap door and they run through that door and then you slip it back and then they others run this way and and that's called sorting the sheep and they just come down this little alleyway and you can just slap that door back and forth and you can go through hundreds of sheep in a matter of minutes because they just keep running down that corridor. Well, you do something similar with goats. They may not have had as fancy a shoot as we built, but uh, they would do it with their staff. And as the sheep would come down through a little alleyway and with the goats, when the goat got there, you would turn it out with your staff. You know, my rod and my staff, they comfort me. And these these two tools, one was to clunk animals on the head or marauders uh, that were trying to kill your sheep. And so it was actually a weapon to protect and the other one was something he used to guide the sheep you know you kind of stick it out and and the sheep would go this way or they'd go that way depending on how you stuck the the stick out and so when they say rod and my staff they're talking about two different tools there but here somehow or other he was sorting these sheep out and he's talking about gathering all the nations which are peoples and separating out the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand, 
but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was, now he's explaining how he separated these sheep. What what was the characteristic he was looking for? Now you look at a sheep and a goat and you can tell the difference usually. But he's actually now taking that metaphor and explaining the metaphor as to why he is going to put one group on one side and another group on the other side, one on the right, one on the left. He says, For I was hungry, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in, naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him. Now he's calling these sheep. They were just sheep a minute ago. Now he's referring to them as the righteous. Answered him saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee and and thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in naked? Or clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now, I want you to note here, he says, Least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Does that mean you have to take in every lost critter on the face of the earth? Does that mean that you have to go and feed everybody who doesn't have food? No. He's talking about the brethren. We know that if you will not work, you should not eat. But he's talking about the brethren. The brethren are those who do it the will of the Father. They're a particular group of people who are doing the will of the Father. Now, now that's an interesting line to draw because sometimes people do the will of the Father and sometimes they don't. Sometimes people leave rather immoralized for a period of time and then they repent and become brothers with Christ because they turn around and go another way. And these sheep from all the nations, all the nations, he's not just talking Israel here. He's talking all the nations that feed my sheep, that that feed my brethren, that take care of them when they are without something sick, in prison. I always thought it was interesting that he talked about his brethren going to prison. <laughs> That's kind of a scary job, um, but it's in the, in the job description, so we should not be too surprised about that. But he says that when you've done it to the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Well, you know, 
one of the things that should just jump out at you if you have to deal with modern Christians very much, who are, you know, uh, modern Christians is a euphemism that I use to describe people who have invented a new gospel. They've gone and read the Bible. You know, they, they've read all the different uh, uh, verses of the Bible. Sometimes they'll read the whole Bible. But they have a proclivity to Paul. They, they love Paul. They don't love all of Paul. <laughs> they just love Paul because there's a lot of writings of Paul in the New Testament. And so if you go and you pick and choose which of Paul's verses that you want to listen to, you can invent a whole new gospel. Because Paul talked to you about things that are difficult to understand. And Peter says that about Paul. That he was going to talk to you about things that were difficult to understand. And and he did. And he, he was handicapped because he was a lawyer. Nobody can understand a lawyer. Even to this day, people have a hard time understanding a lawyer. But one of the hard parts about understanding Paul is that Paul was talking to Christians. Yeah, he was talking to Romans, he was talking to Jews, he was talking to Ephesians and Galatians and all these different people from other cultures. But he was writing Christians. He wasn't talking to a crowd usually on the streets, although there's some instances where he was talking to uh, judges and uh, magistrates and, uh, and even crowds that wanted to beat the tar out of him. But... When he was writing his epistles, he was writing to people who had already been converted to the way of Christ. They were already going another way than they had been going before they were converted. They were going another way other than what the Pharisees were doing and the Sadducees were doing. But also another way than some of the Romans were doing. Another way than the people of the world, these other nations, were doing. So what was the dividing line between the two? And you'd be surprised. And the fact is, most of the people that are calling themselves Christians today, even the ones that you see sometimes being very seemingly charitable, you know, feeding the hungry, etc. We're actually over there on the side of the goats. Yeah, they're over there on the side of the goats, on the, on the left side. They aren't the righteous. They are actually workers of iniquity. And, and Christ has whole parables about this, uh, workers of iniquity. iniquity and he, he says, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. Depart from me. And he's saying it to people who say they believe in Jesus. That they believe that what they're doing, they're doing in the name of Jesus. And yet he's still telling, depart from me, I never knew you. Now that's, that should be a real heads up to your modern Christian, to any kind of person thinking that they're a Christian. Because they think 
they're doing things in the name of Christ, but they're actually in opposition to Christ and doing things that Christ refers to as iniquity. What is iniquity? Well, we'll talk about that later. There's two different words in the Hebrew that are translated into iniquity. But basically, they both mean unrighteousness. And we're going to leave off here at verse 41, and we'll we'll get back to that. But uh, I'm a big one for always trying to learn a new word, and I I pick up the, um, you know, I get a new word sent to me every day in my email. And today, the word was counterpoise. And it means to balance by an opposing weight, counteract by an opposing force, to bring into equilibrium, to counterpoise. And when I, I read that, I thought about bring into an equal weight. And and this story of the goats and the sheep, it seems like somehow or other Jesus is weighing out what these individuals do against what the goats are doing and making a decision that they they go over here with a group that is righteous. And I'm going to give you a little secret about the armor of God right now. So that's a heads up for you. Full armor of God. We're supposed to put on the full armor of God. So in this word counterpoise, they talk about balancing, opposing weights. How much does righteousness now, there's a question. Does, does righteousness have a weight to it? Is there, you know, one of the things that we always see is that good and evil are always described in this metaphor of light and darkness. And light is an actual, you know, photons, exciting material and causing a reflection of photons, which we see as light. You know, if you're out in space where there is no air and you're in the vacuum of space, you're not going to see the same thing that you see when you look up to the sky, to that vaulted ceiling up there caused by our atmosphere. You're going to see wholly different things. You're... You're not going to be able to see certain things that you think when you when you sit down here. You think, well, if I was up in space, I would see more clearly because I wouldn't have the air in the way. Well, actually, you you won't have you won't see the same at all. Things will look quite a bit different because air itself is helping you see because it's causing this light to hit photons, and those photons are generating the image. Because light is something. But what's darkness? It, do you, can you buy a flashlight that shoots darkness out? <laughs> you know, like, you know, you, you turn on a dark flashlight and you see darkness coming out of the light like you see light coming out? No, because darkness is the absence of... Of light. Now, I took a little bit of time to explain this, but the reason why is that if you have good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness doesn't weigh anything. It's nothing. It's actually only the absence of righteousness. And you say, well, that's not true. I mean, 
unrighteous people are doing bad things. And those bad things, that's what God's going to punish them for, the bad things that they do, right? No. No, not really. Bad things result when you're not filled with righteousness. The the bad things you see doing are evidence that righteousness isn't there. And it's going to look a certain way. I mean, a person's going to be, you know, murdering and stealing and, and raping and committing adultery and and all these acts. But that's those acts are a symptom of being void of righteousness. Not having the light of God living in and they'll do things like coveting and all these kinds of things that are counted as sins. But it's not the sin that is what is weighed. Sin is evidence that righteousness is not there. Because righteousness is actually like light. It's truth. You know, that's, that's an actual power. When you don't have that power, you will fall into corruption. You will begin to manifest these things we call sin. You can't do anything about it. You're going to sin if you don't have righteousness in you. So, you know, that's very important part of the metaphor of creation to understand that without righteousness, you will sin. But with righteousness, you will not. So if you're sinning, you have not yet received righteousness. And, and again, you can take that word righteousness and apply it to deeds. You say, this is a righteous act. And so, therefore, this man must be righteous. No, not necessarily. Because he can feign and look like righteousness. You know, if you, if you shear a sheep and put them in with certain kinds of goats... From a distance, it's really hard to tell that you're not talking about a sheep. You could easily be fooled into thinking that was a goat, especially if you're from the city. But the reality is is that uh, righteousness, the truth, the way, the light, the grace of God, the power of God, the love of God is actually a force in nature. It is the Spirit of God, is the force in nature. It is the force of nature that has created nature and put it into existence and established it in the world today and established the world itself. And we need to seek that life, that righteousness, that truth that way, that love. And so this metaphor that he's giving us about the sheep and the goats is telling us what that kind of looks like. And that's really important for us to comprehend what that looks like and how that functions in our life today. And we're going to get into some really rough territory as to how that kingdom of God works and 
how it doesn't work. So that you can start telling the difference. Because by their fruits, you will know them. That's what we're told. By their fruits, you will know them. By the reflection of the light that is in them, you will know them. And there's a lot of counterfeits out there, which is why there are 40,000 different denominations and Christianity is all over the board and, and the world is in such a mess. And when we get back to Keys of the Kingdom, we're going to show you some of those keys and how you get them in the lock and open the doorway that Christ has given us. And I'm afraid some of you are going to be upset by the time we get to the end. Which will probably take quite a few hours. But anyway, we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. And we're talking about goats and sheep. And we're talking about the kingdom of God and the keys to the kingdom. And one of the the things that we put together recently is this page on goats and sheep and we're reading from Matthew 25:32 to 46 and we're in verse 41 and it was clearly that Christ was using this story of goats and sheep as a metaphor to the sheep were the righteous and they were righteous because for some reason or other they helped out his brethren and I tell you that you can If you have the Spirit of God growing in you, you will be automatically attracted, at least part of you will be attracted to the brethren of Christ. And the brethren of Christ are those who are doing the will of Christ. We're not his brothers because we say we are. We're not his brothers because we say we believe in him. We're brothers because we have a common father. And we have that father because we're doing the will of the father. And if we're not doing the will of the Father, that's evidence that the Father is not really our Father and we're not really His sons. We're, we're those prodigal sons that went off in another direction, in another way, and we're operating in a completely different way other than that that God had cast up and intended for us. And uh, that's just the way it is. Now, a lot of people want to say that they're saved because they believe. But they don't actually believe in the God of heaven. They have created a God in their own minds. And that's the God that they they believe in. And that's not the God. That's an image of God that they've created in their own minds. And they believe in that image. But it's not the real God. And so... They're not going to recognize the brethren when they see them or and they may not help their brethren because they don't see them because God's not in their own hearts. You see, we think that the way you get God into your heart is you get him into your head and then then he's in your heart. And it's and part of it is, you know, quotes that people use out of the Bible. Most of it's because of vanity, because you think you can eat of the tree of knowledge and figure out the truth. That, that we've been thinking that since the garden, that you could eat of the tree of knowledge and know good and evil. You can't. You, you, that is not how you find out about good and evil. That's not how you know the truth. 
How did Peter know the truth? The one that he supposedly gave the keys to. He didn't really give the keys to Peter. He, he gave them to all of us. He says, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. That's the keys. That's the key to the kingdom. What these guys were doing made them sheep. Not really. They're not saved by their works. What it is, is they did this work. They helped the brethren. Because they saw Christ in the brethren. And they loved the brethren. Because they loved Christ. And this is... What they did is evidence of the fact that they had a communion with righteousness. You see, because you could go out and feed the hungry and not have charity. You know, Paul talks about that. That though I give everything away to the poor and have not charity. He says, wait a minute. You gave everything away to the poor and you don't have charity? How could that be? Isn't giving to the poor being charitable? No. No, it's not. That's not charity. That's not what charity is. Giving to the poor may be the absolute opposite of charity. It's one of those words that we get defined in our heads because of our teachings, because we thought that you study to show yourself approved. You know that word in the Bible where it says, study to show thyself approved? Shows up a number of times in the Bible, that same word, that Greek word. It's never translated study except in that one verse. Only in that one verse is it ever translated study. So what's it translated everywhere else? Well, it means be diligent to show thyself approved. Be diligent in what? What these sheep are doing. Diligent in righteousness. Is it righteousness then to feed everybody you see that's hungry? No. It may be unrighteousness to feed people that are hungry. Yeah, it could be unrighteousness to feed people that are hungry. Because you're weakening the poor. And you're not supposed to weaken the poor. You're supposed to strengthen the poor. That's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, to to weaken the poor. And then how is it that you're able to feed all these hungry people? Where did you get the stuff to feed them with? Did you take it from your neighbor by force? Well, that's not approved by God. That's, That's not kosher to take something away from your neighbor by force, that would be stealing. What if you had a right to take it away by force? Compel the offerings of the people because they gave you that right. Is that okay? Well, it's legal. But if you want your neighbor's stuff, even though you have a right to take it, isn't that coveting your neighbor's goods? You want what is your neighbor's? And actually, that's what goes on. But we'll talk more about that later. Let's go on with verse 41 here. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Whoa! That's some serious stuff there. And this is because he's talking to the goats. Now, he called the sheep the righteous. He's calling the goats these cursed. And, and for I was hungry and you gave me no meat. 
and I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink, and I was a stranger, and you took me not in, naked, and you clothed me not, sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and a thirst, and a stranger, and naked, or sick, or in prison? And did not minister unto thee. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. He said again, talking about his brethren. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the sheep go to eternal life, the goats go to hell. Wow. Sounds like they were saved by works. Were they saved by works? No. They weren't saved by works. They were saved because they loved righteousness, which is the Spirit of God. And because they loved righteousness, they saw the Spirit of God in the brethren. And were drawn to helping them. And acted upon that inclination of their hearts. So it was not the works. The works are evidence of a choice. And so, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods. If you're not helping out the brethren. Who are seeking to do what Christ said for the brethren to do. Because the brethren were his little flock. He says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you guys talking to the Pharisees and I'm going to give it to this other group over here that is going to bear righteousness. funny thing about that is that he that people talk about, you know, the Jews. The Jews didn't accept Jesus when he was here. I, every time I hear that, I just like, I mean, like I want to break out laughing. What are you talking about? The Jews didn't accept Jesus. All the apostles were Jews. <laughs> they accepted Jesus. The 120 in the upper room, they were Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, thousands of people accepted the baptism of Christ and were cast out of the social welfare system of Herod and the Pharisees. Now Herod, heck, he was an Edomite. He wasn't even a Jew. So the Jews accepted Jesus. The sheep, the righteous Jews, the ones that could hear his voice. They accepted Jesus. And they were a government. That's right, they were a government. The apostles were told that they they would be appointed the kingdom. It is my pleasure to appoint unto the little flock a kingdom. That's what he said. And then later he appoints the kingdom to I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my father has appointed unto me. It's not the whole kingdom. But it's the kingdom here at hand. We call it the church today, but it was the apostles, the ambassadors to Christ, apostles, apostolos means ambassador, messengers of Christ, appointed by Christ to deliver a particular message and to feed his sheep, to do a particular job and to do it in a particular way, to give up everything they own and give it away to the poor and come follow him, do what he was doing. Fortunately, most modern Christians don't know what he was doing. 
Now, I tell you, if Christ was here again today, right now, preaching to you, most modern Christians, I'm not going to say 80%, but I would say at least 51%, so that's why I say most, would probably reject Christ. They believe in Christ in their heads, but it's not the real Christ. And the reason I know they don't really believe in the real Christ is because they're not doing what he said. I'm not talking about perfectly doing without sin or anything. I'm just talking about basic direction, policy. By policy, they're not doing what Christ said. And that's one of the things that we're going to explore today. And probably tomorrow and probably the next day because it's really going to take a while to get to that. So anyway, we've decided that this goat is a, is a metaphor that is thrown into everlasting torment um, and that the sheep are the righteous. And this is what he's going to separate out as the righteous from the unrighteous. And again, they're not saved by works. They're saved by grace. But what what value is the works? Because we know that our faith is true if our works are true. And Christ is pointing that out. I know your faith is true. Of course, he knows anyway because he can see your spirit. But he's, he's trying to tell you, if you're doing these other things over here, and Paul says this all the time. You know, if you're committing adultery, if you're coveting, all these things. He says, stay away from those guys. Stay away from them. Now, that, those guys may say, but I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I was saved on October 24, 1989. But are they really saved? I mean, that's what they say, but they could be liars. They could be lying to themselves. They could be deceived. They could be under strong delusion. How do you know? You judge them by their fruits. What are they really doing? This is a real problem because modern Christians don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And we have a bunch of these Paulites who've invented a new Paul going around preaching this do-nothing gospel. You know, oh, you're not saved by works. Oh, it's good to be a nice guy. But really you're saved because of what you think. Because they think religion is what you think about God. And why do they think that? Well, we've already gone over that in several shows showing you that the definition of religion changed over the years from from at the time, for instance, the Constitution. The religion was how you performed your duty to God and your fellow man. And then now it's what you think about this, the Creator, the Supreme Being. And by changing that definition, you can alter the way people think. Because now they read the Bible and they think, oh, well, this is religion. No, 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 that's not religion. Religion is this over here. But they change the definition of the word. So when you read it in the Bible, you don't even know what they're talking about. And the interesting thing is if you go back to the days of Jesus Christ, these two definitions were floating around then, too. And they actually had the definition, generally speaking, at the time of Christ, closer to what it really is as far as religion. But the five times they mention it, four times they're talking about a bad form of religion. Religion was how you took care of the needy of your society because that's how you fulfill your obligation to your fellow man. And it's also how you tend to the weightier matters of, of law, judgment, mercy, and faith because that's part of your obligation to God and your fellow man. But 
those uh, that religion, there was two ways to fulfill it. And John the Baptist preached one of them, and Herod preached the other. And Herod was baptizing people into a system where one of them takes care of their obligation to God and their fellow man through a system of compelled offerings, forced offerings, forced sacrifices. Remember, those of you probably don't remember, but if you go back to Paul, uh, not Paul, Saul, the original Saul, not Saul Paul, but Saul the king. And he was called foolish by Samuel, a prophet of God, for one reason. Because he forced a sacrifice. He needed money for his army and he forced a sacrifice of the people. You have to remember, these sacrifices that they had, that was how they supported their government. They gave the reins of control of their offering over to the Levite and he paid for health, education, and welfare. He paid for the FEMA. Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary, with those funds that you laid upon those living stones. That's the way it was back then. Pharisees turned it into something else. Herod and the Pharisees turned it into something else entirely different. And then Christ comes along and tells them the way it should be. And they don't recognize him. And then he says, because you don't even know Moses. Because Moses said to do it what I'm saying to do. Moses and I are in agreement. We see them in agreement. But Moses and the Pharisees were not in agreement. And, you know, I've talked to people, you know, Messianic Jews, and they're, they're going back to the ways of the Pharisees, and they're saying the Pharisees got a bad rap and all this stuff. They're getting farther and farther away from the truth. Because you can't, the, one of the major problems with modern Christians today is they don't understand what it meant to be an Israelite. Because their image of the Israelite is drawn by the Pharisee. And Christ told us the Pharisees got it wrong. They don't even, they wouldn't even recognize Moses. Because they didn't recognize Jesus. And they wouldn't recognize the Father. So what was he doing that was all that different? In this article I have, and you could go to our website, preparingyou.com, preparing, the word preparing, y-o-u.com. And uh, there's a search engine on the page that you'll light on. And uh, look for sheep, uh, no, goats and sheep. Just look for goats and sheep, and you'll find the article that I'm looking at now. That It's, it's morphing all the time. I wrote it down originally out of a conversation on Facebook. And uh, I upset the guy so bad on Facebook, he eventually deleted the whole uh, uh, thread. Uh, because he doesn't want to hear the truth, at least not yet. He will <laughs> the days to come. But uh, right now it helps me write these articles. So anyway, I, I copied and pasted it over so I was able to write this article. With, but it helps me to listen to the ridiculous eschatologies of other people who are modern Christians and not following Christ because I, I'm always astounded. How did you come up with that idea? <laughs> And they tell you. And you say, well, that's not what he's saying there. You know, one of the big problems with understanding Paul is that Paul is writing to real Christians. He's not writing to you. He says, Christ, uh, Paul says we are saved by grace. No, he didn't say you were saved by grace. 
He said the Galatians or the Ephesians or the Roman Christians were saved by grace because they were seeking the ways of Christ. They had repented. They had turned around. Yours still were the Pharisees saved by grace? Not if they didn't repent. If they don't repent, if they're still acting like Pharisees, if they, you know, if are murderers saved by grace? Not if they're still murdering. And I, I'll, I'm a murderer, but you know, I mean, it's like a guy. Uh, guy wore Star David and a crucifix, and he, he wore all these different symbols of these different religions because he wanted to make sure all his bases were covered. <laughs> So that if he died, he'd be able to go to heaven, you know, because he he didn't know which religion was the right, right? So he just did them all. Well, he did none. So anyway, in the article I point out that, uh, so why goats and sheep? And now we've kind of gone over that. And I talk about many animals like goats and cows and sheep are herd animals and have social structures within their herds. And I've shown this with people who come out here to some of our retreats. And we we actually camp right in the field with the sheep and the goats. Uh, actually, not the goats, because we don't have goats right now, but uh, the sheep and the cows. And we might get some goats someday, but uh, as long as we have dairy cows, we probably won't. <laughs> but there are, there are meat goats that are actually becoming rather valuable, and we could carry a few of those, but... Both these uh, goats and sheep know the shepherd, and both will gather together. Both are flock animals. Both have this social structure. But um, the sheep hear his voice. The goats are really independent of his voice. They're kind of doing their own thing all the time. And uh, sheep will follow the shepherd. And, you know, I was once way up on the top of the mountain. On You'll see the mountain in one of the pictures on the webpage way in the back. It's called Kleppel Point. And I was up there with somebody visiting from New York, and we, it was a cold, wintry day. And we were talking as we went up there to see the view, because you can see a long ways from up there. And uh, uh, I heard this noise of a sheep out there in the way out somewhere over the edge of the cliff. And I kind of stopped in the middle of our conversation, and I started walking over to the edge of the cliff, and we got to the edge of the cliff, and we looked way down about 800 feet below, and you could see the driveway going into the church property. And there were sheep coming out the gate. Now, the gate's open almost all the time. And they just stay in the field. The cows just stay in the field. They don't go out the gate. And But this day, all of a sudden, they were going out the gate. And we had a sheep that we called Cora. And Cora was leading them out the gate. <laughs> you know, a hundred sheep coming out the gate. And Cora's right there in the head. You could tell because Cora was a black-faced sheep. And they were headed out the gate and just heading out across the desert. They were probably headed back to another place. And I yelled, hey, real loud. And you could hear it echo all across the valley because we're way up above everything. And these sheep are just look like little spots down there. You can't hardly see them at that distance because they were 800 feet down and about a quarter of a mile away. And uh, all the sheep stopped. They heard my voice. <laughs> and I yelled, 
get back in there. And I pointed back towards the gate. You know, I'm, I'm just a spot to them way down there. And this guy from New York is standing there. And he, and the sheep look up and they kind of bah. And I said, you heard me get back in the gate. And, uh, two thirds of the sheep turned around, already going down the road, and went all the way back to the gate, you know, about 80 yards away, and went through the gate, and turned around and stood on the inside of the gate, and bad to the other sheep. And the other sheep, being led by Cora, took off down the road and continued going the wrong direction. <laughs> now these are sheep, they heard my voice, but some of the sheep, did not go the right way. They are not the master sheep, evidently. <laughs> They're Korah sheep. And, uh, but I hadn't given up on them yet. And fortunately, by that time, we had invent, somebody had invented cell phones and somebody had given us a cell phone. And, uh, and, uh, I dialed up on that old, what was it, Nakia phone and got a hold of my son and said, the sheep are leaving. <laughs> And they're headed out towards the road. And about two minutes later, you saw this little Ford Escort coming down the road. And it came up, and there the sheep were in the middle of this road, and they were out on the highway by this time. And it stopped, and a door flung open, and a black and white unit jumped out. We call them black and white units, border collie. And those sheep went back in the field, but you had to take a black and white unit to make it happen. <laughs> Cora was at the lead running back through the field. But we're going to talk to you about making sure that you're not a goat next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're talking about goats and sheep. Because Jesus talked about goats and sheep and separating the goats out from the sheep and putting the sheep on the right-hand side and the goats on the left-hand side. And he called the sheep righteous 
and the goats unrighteous, and he put the goats in everlasting torment. And so you want to make sure you're not a goat, because the same parable was found elsewhere in the Bible in a similar fashion, where he talks about, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And in the other location, the the ones of iniquity actually thought that they were Christians. They thought they were doing great things in the name of Christ. And he says, get you from me, you workers of iniquity. So they think they're sheep and they're actually goats. They're not sheep. And this is because there's a lot of false teachers that have crept in and are teaching us lies. Sometimes it's because they themselves have been taught lies by their seminary professors. I mean, I was, when I was in the seminary, I was taught lies. <laughs> but I kept asking questions, and eventually I realized that if you really want to be smart and clever, you don't want to keep eating from the tree of knowledge. You want to eat from the tree of life. And this is, of course, how Christ said he was going to build his kingdom. Not by flesh and blood revealing something to you, not by studying, not that studying in itself is bad, but the only way you're really going to know is by divine revelation. That's right, by divine revelation, by the Spirit of God speaking to you in your heart and your mind. That's the way you're going to really know. And and to some, he's speaking to them already, and, and we see manifest in their life what we see as kingdom tracks. They seem to have a tendency towards home church. That's great. Home church is great. But everybody who goes in a home church, that's not necessarily a good thing. It could be a bad thing. Maybe because you, you, you want to get into a little clique group that makes you, you know, mutual admiration society. On, and you don't want to do all that driving down to the regular church. So you want to do it at your house. I don't know why you want it, but the act itself is not complete evidence that you're on the right path. But that's one of the tracks. Another track is homeschoolers. Homeschoolers are people who are, generally speaking, taking back the responsibility of raising their children and teaching them in their homes. Like the Bible says, fathers teach thy children in your home. And also they see that, you know, I know public school teachers who are homeschoolers. <laughs> they they go make their living teaching at a public school, but they themselves won't won't go to the public schools uh, and send their children to the public schools, I mean. But they'll go there and make a living, I guess, which is a strange, bizarre turn of events. So anyway, we're talking about this in uh, in Matthew uh, 25, 32 to 46, and we read it during the last show, and it explains what is going on. But now we're equating it to, and we have this all on a webpage at preparingyou.com. We'll eventually probably have it as an article on uh, hisholychurch.net. And if you want to know where all these things first appear, you should join the Living Network at thelivingnetwork.org which will probably take you to a link at Preparing You. And uh, you can join the local network in your area and start meeting other people and start home churching there. But home church in itself is congregationalism. Christ was preaching a kingdom. So when you start understanding what that means, you'll understand that you need to start networking with other people. And this is one of the things that goats don't do. 
goats go off looking for greener pastures. And when we had goats, uh, we often had horned goats because we live, I mean, coyotes, mountain lions, bobcats, everything come right into our yard here. And uh, so even though they can't really fin off an attack with horns, they've got a better chance than a, a goat that doesn't have any horns. So we always left horns on the goats. But the goats had a tendency to stick their head through the sheep wire and get stuck. And with the horns, they really got stuck because they couldn't get their head back through. So you would see these goats sometimes standing there for hours with their head stuck to the fence. You'd go over and you'd pinch your finger trying to get their head turned and back out of the deal. And you'd slap them in the face to say, don't do this again. They got more feed inside the fenced area than outside. I've seen them do this where they get their head stuck reaching out to eat a piece of Russian thistle. And there's some Russian thistle inside the fence, but there's thick grass and clover and everything else inside the fence. But they want to reach through the fence. They they want to step outside the circle. They this is in their nature. They wanna they wanna go out and do their own thing. They don't want to do the shepherd's thing. And they'll look back at you like what? And that's the way they are. So uh the uh this is in the nature of the goats. And we have a little picture of a goat there sticking its head through the fence. And uh, that's the way they were all the time. And that's telling you a little bit about goats. And He could have put the goats on the right side and the sheep on the left side. But he picked goats because they have certain characteristics. And if you read ancient scripts that were written by Brahmana, who is Abraham, uh, which are actually the Arthavedas and and some of these ancient scripts that eventually produced the Hindu religion. They they talk about monkeys and storks and all these different kinds of animals. And the reason why is because in those animals you see certain characteristics. And so therefore they, they are telling metaphors about the nature of man by using these creatures. Now, people have all twisted that around and created whole religions and they built temples to monkeys and everything and they missed the whole point. But it's not unlike modern Christianity. I, I've always been surprised that we haven't found some church that has a pond out front and everybody would go out as part of their religious rituals to go out there and throw bread on the water of the pond, feed the ducks, and it become a religious ritual because... He says, cast our bread upon the waters. But uh, fortunately, everybody knows that's a metaphor. They actually don't know why it's a metaphor and what he's trying to tell you. (laughs) In most Protestant churches, they're not in the business of casting their bread upon the waters as a general rule of what they call the elders of their church, which they've got wrong too. But uh, I've always been amazed that somebody is on the board of elders and he gives a big donation to the church and then he runs around the table and he's one of the elders so he gets to decide how that money's going to be spent. And I thought, well, wait a minute. When are you going to actually cast your bread upon the waters? Because all you did is cast it over to the other side of the table and you ran over to the other side of the table and you control it anyway. You see, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it worked from the beginning. They had to give their sacrifice to somebody else that they were learning to trust. And why? So that that individual could learn to be trustworthy. 
It's like, how are you going to learn to lift a heavy weight unless you lift a heavy weight? You have to actually exercise those muscles of trust. And so you pick men you trust and you give them a little trust. You know, don't go doing the Saul thing where you give him right to be king over the whole country. Next thing you know, he's going to be breaking all kinds of rules like forcing sacrifices and taking your sons and daughters and making his instruments of war and taking and taking and taking of the first fruits of your labor and then someday you'll cry out, God won't hear you. Because that's what Samuel said, if you go elect a guy who can exercise authority. And they did it anyway. And people are still doing it. And then they're wondering why there's dictatorships and tyranny in the world. It's because you're not doing it according to the ways of God. You're, you've rejected God. That was called a rejection of God. So go figure. That, I mean, you talk about your goats. The goats reject the shepherd. And they want to go do their own thing. Lots of luck with that. So anyway, the kingdom at hand and the righteousness of God we are to be seeking, which was preached by Christ and Paul, for the living, not for the dead, is simple. You need to repent. And you should pray to your Father in heaven for your daily bread. And that's what it says in the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come when thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Keys to the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Ah. Give us this day our EBT card. <laughs> I mean, what was the daily bread? I mean... If you don't have enough food, can you give me enough food so that I can get by? Well, who are you praying to for that daily food, that daily bread? Are you praying to the fathers of the earth or the Father in heaven? Yeah, because Jesus said, you're not supposed to call any man Father on the earth. So, if you're you're praying to a man, applying to some man... To give you your daily bread. How's he getting that daily bread? To give to you. You know, that daily bread, that, that's kind of a metaphor for benefits. You know, and benefits could be, you know, an EBT card. You know, because you're on food stamps. 45 million Americans are. And a lot of those are modern Christians. Should they be on EBT cards? No. Should they starve to death? No, they shouldn't starve to death. But they should be striving and seeking. Where would they get food? Well, the early church, they gave out food. They gave out loaves of bread, sacks of grain. That's what they did in their meeting. We have minutes of their meetings recorded in history. Way back, 100 A.D., 150 A.D., I mean, there were there were ministers writing to the emperor Antonius Peter saying, "This is what we do: those that have share with those that don't have enough." And they they have sacks of bread, daily bread. Why were they doing this? This was famines were going on in Rome at that time. People were starving. Why are they telling the emperor about what they're doing in church? 
because Christians were persecuted because they wouldn't sign up for EBT cards. I can't remember. Was it a, a, a terracotta? Uh, is the name of the coin that you would carry to prove that you were entitled to your daily bread. And it was given out by the government. But the problem with this system of daily bread that was offered by the fathers of the earth, Rome, and, and had been offered by Herod, was that these are men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And Jesus said it wasn't to be that way with us. And see, when you got the baptism of Jesus Christ, which was like that baptism of Herod. I mean, Jesus didn't baptize anybody. The apostles did. It was like the baptism of Herod. Like the baptism of Herod. But it was in uniformity with the baptism of John the Baptist. So what was the difference between John the Baptist's baptism and the baptism of Herod? Most people don't know that Herod was baptizing. Well, he was. And if you go to our website at hisholychurch.org and you and do a search for baptism, you'll find articles there on baptism. And we show you that Herod was baptizing people into the kingdom of God. But his image of the kingdom of God was very much different. It was a lot like the image of government for the modern Christian. And the modern Christian would love to join the system offered by Herod and has joined a similar system offered by the world today in almost every country. And it's based on you sign up and you become a registered member of that system and then you have to pay in according to the strict legal requirements set down by your legislature or your parliament or your Sanhedrin or whatever it is. And its money goes into a treasury and they call that Corbin. As a matter of fact, they actually even call in the Bible the word Corbin is written down as Corbin once, but at another time it's actually translated treasury. Same word is translated also treasury. And this is how they got the money to build the golden temple to this system. But Jesus condemned that system then for the Jew and for the Gentile. And everybody thinks, that, oh, everything that Jesus said, that was for the Jews. That's not for us. We're the Gentiles. The Roman centurion was listening to him back then. And he was a Gentile. And he was the one that he said had more faith than anybody. Jesus wasn't just preaching to the Jews. He was preaching to us all. Anybody who wants to throw out the gospel of Jesus in exchange for the gospel of Paul is an idiot. Now, I'm going to be rough on you. You're an idiot. Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He told you about things that were hard to understand. But it's the same gospel. It's not a different gospel. The reason he's talking to the people about you are saved by grace is because they had already repented and turned around and were following the ways of the sheep, the brethren of Christ. They were taken care of. They were already in a network of faith, hope, and charity operating by the perfect law of liberty. You're not. He's not talking to you. He's talking to people who have repented. If you haven't repented, you're under a strong delusion thinking you're saved. Because you're not saved. You're 
actually could be a worker of iniquity. And those who went the way of Herod and the way of the Pharisees instead of the way of John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, and the apostles in the early church were workers of iniquity. They were the goats. They were going to do their own thing. They thought the grass was greener on their side. And see, this is your choice. You can't change the course of history. You can just change where you're going to be in it. Where are you going to show up in history? Are you going to show up in the goat side or the sheep side? So anyway, on this webpage at preparingyou.com slash wiki slash goats and sheep and basically look for goats and sheep, that phrase in the search engine will pop right up. Or like I say, join the living network and somebody will show you. It's already been sent to all the ministers, the link to this page. But anyway, there are links to other pages that show you fathers of the earth. Who were the fathers of the earth? That was the, the fathers of the earth were like the Roman Senate in the Sanhedrin. The, the, the Roman Senate, all the senators were called patri. And Jesus said, call no man patri upon the earth. Ah, Suddenly, bingo! Did you know the emperor was called our father? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So when Jesus says, how, when he's asked, how do we how do we pray? How do we apply for benefits in the kingdom of God that you're preaching? He says, pray in like manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, when thy will be done. He's talking about doing the will of the Father. He hasn't turned religion into what you think about the deity. It's still how you perform your duty to God and your fellow man when Jesus is mentioning it and talking about it, when James talks about pure religion. He's talking about doing this, fulfilling this obligation, not by force, till, till John the Baptist. Everybody was trying to do it by force. It says that two places in the gospel. You probably miss it. I mean, it's like a magician translated the Bible. <laughs> Part of it is because of the fact that you've got these preconceived notions. You know, in the next section down from this, and it, there's a link to Corbin. and shows you how Corbin works and all that stuff. I should put another link in there about baptism. I think there is on that page. But uh, there's a... Let's see here... Uh, I talked earlier about, because Paul talks about giving in Corinthians 13.3, we see, and through, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What is he talking about? You give all your goods away to the poor to feed the poor and you don't have charity how could that be because charity isn't about just giving charity is about love I mean if you gave everything to your kids that they wanted they said oh I want a car you give them a car oh, I want a toy here I want the, the, I want a tractor I want a, this I want that I want this and you just get every time they ask for something you give it to them what kind of kid do you think you would be raising up? Would that be a good parent? No, of 
course not. So giving people everything they want, even giving somebody everything they need or think they need, is not good. Sometimes people need to fast a little bit. <laughs> Go without. So another quote I put in here is Matthew twenty-one forty-three. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. The word nation there is just people. But it's actually a shift of the kingdom. Christ was going to take the kingdom away, and he did. And then he says, I'm going to appoint it to my little flock. And you see that in Luke 12:32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in Luke 22:25, he says, and he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles, the other nations... That's what that means. Gentile means other nations. Exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Now, he's talking to the apostles and telling them, but ye shall not be so. You're not supposed to be like the kings of the Gentiles. But he goes on to say, I appoint unto you a kingdom. I appoint unto you a kingdom. Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. That's in Matthew twenty twenty five. It shall not be so with you. And Mark ten forty two. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, exercise lordship. The other nations, he's saying. He's appointing an actual government to Jews. To the apostles. And we call it the church. But this is a government. But he says this government can't be like all these other governments of these other nations round about us who exercise the lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them. It is not to be that way with you. So this is an actual government. And this is why historians like the guy who wrote Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Edmund uh, Gibbons, calls the church, the early church, a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire. Even still today in the Black's Law Dictionary, the church is defined as one form of government. But it's a government that operates by the perfect law of liberty, where the leaders of that government are titular. They can't dictate to you doctrine. They can't dictate to you what you're going to give. They can't kick in your door if you don't give enough. But they are supposed to be taking care of the daily bread. And you see, this is why Christians were persecuted. is because they took care of the daily bread through faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty, meeting once a week and saying, those that have can share now with those that don't have enough. And they had ministers to make sure that people were, the daily ministration to the widows and orphans and needy of their society was not neglected. It wasn't just a little congregational group meeting in a house to feel good about what they think about God, it was actually for the purposes of fulfilling your duty to God and your fellow man by 
attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. What's mercy? You don't have enough bread. Your family's going to go hungry. Your husband fell off a ladder. He's broke his back. He can't work for six months. How are you going to survive? You're not. you got to go to the government for help. Who's your government? Who are you going to call? The apostles and your ministers that you look out amongst yourself and pick men you trust. And your neighbor, because he loves you as much as he loves himself, is going to help you out so that you get through this hard times. And your children are going to grow up remembering the days that you brought food to their house. And your congregation is going to be bound by charity, which is love. Not charity of giving. The same word we see Paul using when he says charity is the same word we always see Jesus using when they say he says love. The translators just translated love when Jesus says it and charity when Paul says it. And then you wonder why you're confused. You know what Plutarch says? The real destroyers of liberty of the people is he who spreads amongst them bounties, donations, and benefits. Gifts, gratuities, and benefits. Depending on whose translation you read of Plutarch. This is what he's talking about. And Jesus talks about this. And Paul talks about it. What agreement do you have with unbelievers? Are you going to eat meat sacrificed to idols? What is he talking about? It's talking about welfare to those men who don't believe in charity. They believe in force. And they're going to force your contributions. Oh, my gosh. You know what's going to happen if you do that? If you go that way? You're rejecting God. Yeah, you're rejecting. You're going to cannibalize your children. That's right. You're going to cannibalize your children. And the California State Supreme Court Justice Janice Rogers Brown tells you that. Now, remember, Social Security and Corbin of the Pharisees are almost identical systems. The Corbin of the Pharisees was condemned by Christ. They are almost identical systems. And we'll talk about this when we come back. And we'll tell you what Janice Roger Brown said. And it just got people all up in arms. But we'll tell you how there is a solution where you can actually hear the truth and do something about it. You know, that's the beauty of the truth. The truth will set you free. But you have to be willing to hear it and act upon it. And when we come back, we'll show you how Christ was setting men free so they didn't have to sin anymore. Be right back. Don't miss it. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm rushing here through my email. My email sometimes comes in faster than I can read. <laughs> so every moment I get, I try to get caught up on it. We're talking about this separation of goats and the sheep. And it's so interesting because most people think that Christ is going to separate the goats and sheep based on what you think. Oh, I accepted Jesus, so therefore I get to be over on the sheep side. But that's not what he says. 
But then, of course, people say, well, no, Paul preached a new gospel to, uh, I don't know where he got it from. Uh, the fact is, is, it was new to the understanding of many, and this is why Peter says that Paul's going to talk to you about things that are difficult to understand, is it's not a different gospel, it's just uh, in more depth. And uh, it's kind of uh, Christianity 102. And the importance of understanding that is that Paul was talking to people that had repented and were already seeking and striving, as Christ said, to do, to, uh, to be righteous in the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And people like James was pointing out that your duty to God and your fellow man, which is the definition of the word religion, needed to be unspotted by the world, and then he used the word world, uh, that means constitutional order or system of government. In other words, you're supposed to be taking care of one another without the help of men who exercise authority one over the other. Everything starts to fall into place. You know, but, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that I can quote you words right out of the mouth of Christ, and people will say, who go to church regularly will turn to me and say, well, where did Jesus say that? They don't even know he said it. I can go to ministers who have a hundred years of uh, experience and quote Jesus, and they won't know he said it. Right in their translation of the Bible. And they don't know what he said. And they've got all years of seminary training Years and years of reading the Bible, and I can quote exactly the verses right out of the Bible that came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ that were direct statements as to what to do, and they've never heard it. They can't remember. What is that? It's the collective unconsciousness. We need more monkeys. <laughs> are willing to see the truth, say this truth, and speak the truth. Somebody was noticing something on on Facebook that uh, my son posted this quote from, uh, let's go down to it, because I said we were going to talk about it, from Janice Roger Brown, who I'm in love with that lady now. I think she's great. (laughs) I've got a whole bunch of quotes from her. I'm already putting them into other articles that will appear on News of Views. But she's a fascinating woman, graduated from high school at 16, and... uh, Graduated from Harvard at, I think, about 20. Uh, she's very bright, very bright. Uh, but she is as conservative as you can get. I mean, she's more conservative than conservatives. Absolutely hates the New Deal. But she's very outspoken. She's a black woman. and uh, But she's not like many people that you're going to find. But anyway, she says, regarding Social Security today, today's senior citizen blithely cannibalizes their grandchildren because they have a right to get as much free stuff as the political system will permit them to extract. Now, you really have to understand what she means with political system, what she means by Social Security. What social, Most people don't understand how Social Security works. And why she says blithely cannibalizes their children. The Bible warns us that we would do this in the last days. They warn us that we would cannibalize our children. 
that we would curse them. Yeah, it does. It tells us all about that. We'll get to that eventually. I don't know if we'll get to it today, but we'll get to it. But I have uh, members of my family, when they first hear this, they thought, oh, I don't like that. You know, and my own brothers don't read my books. <laughs> Some of my kids don't even read my books. Some of my kids got to read them all as they were growing up. <laughs> but this collective unconsciousness, you get sucked over into it. I mean, decent people will be sucked over into this collective unconsciousness. And you'll begin to think a certain way. And you'll see their minds being molded by the world. It's also by the flesh and also by the devil will have influences over you. Because you don't have the full armor of God. You have a form of godliness, but you're denying the power thereof. And how do you deny the power thereof? You do not act upon what you are is revealed to you is right. Because it's more convenient to go along, to get along. And it changes you. You're changed by that. By giving in on these little things. It changes you. It changes your heart. It strips away the armor so that evil can get in and make you angry and upset and 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 tempt you with things of the flesh and tempt you with things of greed and things of, well, I've got a right to my social security. I paid into it all these years. No. You don't understand how the system works. When you give your money into Social Security, you're casting your bread upon the waters. That's the way it's always been. That's your burnt offering. You're giving that up. That's not for you. That's for the needy today. That's what, that's, did you read the contract? Oh, you didn't. Oh my gosh. You're an idiot. You never read the Social Security Act? You don't know how it works? No, a guy told me once, this is the way it works. A guy told me once. My goodness. I mean, next thing you know, you'll be asking lawyers. <laughs> Ask Paul. Paul says you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's goods. That's what the system is based on. Your neighbor, when you get old, or when you get disabled, your neighbor... He's going to have to pay in to take care of your benefits. He has to pay in. Because he has signed up too. He has to pay into this. It's a voluntary system. Once you sign up, it's not voluntary anymore. It's kind of like joining the army. You know, the sergeant comes in and says, I'm looking for three volunteers. Everybody stands there. Nobody moves. And then he points to this private. You, you, and you. Come here. He says, well, Sergeant, I thought you were looking for volunteers. You're wearing a uniform, aren't you? <laughs> you already volunteered. Now he gets to tell you what to do. So when you volunteer into the system, once you're in that system, you're in that system. A lot of people say, oh, well, my parents signed me up. I want to opt out. Well, your parents signed you up and you went to public schools. Your parents sold you. You're in that system. Now pay the tax. Quit whining about it. But, Start seeking the kingdom of God. And you will be set free. This is I'm just waking you up when you're in bondage. I mean, you're in bondage. You know that, right? 
I mean, that's one of the things that uh, Janice Roger Brown points out. And and she gets a lot, but she should read my stuff, <laughs> what we call our stuff. But anyway, uh, in the bondage of Egypt, 20% of everything you did, your labor, 20% of your labor belonged to the government. And they called that bondage. In America, 20, 30, 40, 50% belongs to the government, and you call it freedom. Well, you're just deluded. It's not freedom. You're not free. America is not free. Neither is any other country, because they all have the same systems. Although, in some countries, I can name, 20% of the people don't have to pay any... They don't have a number. They haven't been numbered. I mean, you know, your Social Security number, you have to have that Social Security number to buy and sell in the world today. People say, oh, no, you don't. I go I go buy stuff and sell stuff all the time, and, and I, I don't ever use my Social Security number. Yeah, you do. You can't get a bank account. You can't get a contractor's license. You can't get a marriage license. You can't get a driver's license. You can't get any kind of government license whatsoever to work or do anything in this country without a Social Security number. Right? You know where you know that? Yeah, I can, you can look it up. Title 42. Uh, go down to Section 666. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not kidding you. Section 666. If you... It tells you you got to have that number to do any of those things in the United States. Now, you don't have to have those that number to do those things in America, but in the United States, you do. Now, how could I say that? Well, that's another whole story. We won't get into that, or we won't get anywhere today on finishing it up. The real destroyers of liberties of the people is he who spreads amongst them bounties, donations, and benefits, gifts, gratuities, and benefits. There are lots of ideas around that could cause our liberty in Christ to be spoiled. And if you go and read in Galatians 2.4, and that because of false brethren. Now, these are not the brethren you're supposed to be helping. There are false brethren out there. If you're feeding, if you're contributing to these false brethren, that's not going to do you any good. To get over there in the sheep. Remember, the sheep are sorted out. The righteous are sorted out because they give to the least of my brethren. But there are false brethren going around that unawares brought in who came in privately to spy out our liberty. This is Galatians 2.4. Which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. That's right. They wanted to bring them into bondage. How did they do that? You know, in Galatians 5, 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. How do you get entangled again in the yoke of bondage? You apply for the benefits. Christians were executed, burned, Killed, maimed, tortured, because they refused to sign up for the Corbin of Rome. They refused to get a birth certificate under Marcus Aurelius in 168 AD, which would be registered in the Temple of Saturn, which was a government building. 
Because the reason you got a birth certificate is so that we could prove that you were eligible for benefits. They would not apply for those benefits. They would not participate in those systems. And they were voluntary at first, but eventually became mandatory under some emperors, and illegally so, but they persecuted the Christians. And we've shown this time and time again, and we could go into detail. Because we have the actual words right out of the mouths of the judges and and the rulers of the time saying that you need to sign up for benefits. And they said, no, we won't. And so they executed them. They actually used the word benefits. And they wouldn't do it. Why? Because those are the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to hell because you did that. I'm saying you need to repent. You need to turn around and start creating a system based on faith, hope, and charity. When you join the social security systems of the world, and they got, you know, national insurance, and they got all these things in other countries, you're going into a system like Herod's system of Corbin. Your sacrifice is your burnt offering. It goes on living altars of civil authorities. They put it in their Corbin, in their treasury. And because, you know, like in the United States, it doesn't just go separately. Everything you pay into Social Security, it's not in a separate fund. And we, if you go read our article, which we link to on this page too, Not So Secure Socialism, we show you that the Supreme Court has ruled several times that your Social Security money is mixed with all the other general fund money. It's not separate. They cannot separate it out. It is not distinguishable. We do the same thing in the church. But we don't centralize funds in the church. The, the, most of the funds of the church are in the pockets of the people. Some is in the pockets of the ministers to use for the purposes of the ministry, to be health, education, and welfare, and the faith emergency ministry auxiliary for the people. That's what the church was. And they were feeding the people during times of famine. They were helping them out during times of sickness. And they found that they received special powers to heal. And that's because they were putting on the full armor of God. And these are the people that Paul is writing to when he's saying that you're saved by grace. Because they had repented. Not because they were doing everything right. But they were prodigal sons returning to serve in their father's house. If you're just changing the way you think... But not the way you do. Christ makes it clear. It's not those who say, but those who do. Not those who keep cutting and pasting Bible quotes, but those who do the will of the Father. And if you're doing the opposite of the way of the Father, then you're in a lot of trouble. So the money you paid into Social Security all these years, into what, I mean, it could be national insurance or whatever country you're in. They're all bankrupt. They're bankrupt. There's no money there. So if you take money out, if you take benefits out, somebody's got to pay that back. And you're already old and infirm. You're not going to be paying it back. So who's going to pay it back? Your children and your neighbor's children. But they'll be in debt. Men who exercise authority are going to compel them. They're going to have to whip them harder to keep building that pyramid. You've gone the wrong way. You've gone away opposite of what the gospel tells you to do. You've gone the way of the Corbin of the Pharisees that makes the word of God to none effect. 
And Jesus says, woe unto them who do this. And you can tell me you believe in Jesus all you want, but you are not going the way of Christ. You are going the opposite way that he said to go. Christians did it all. They took care of all the social welfare of Christians. Unspotted by the constitutional order and systems of governments of the world that used force to gather the offerings of the people. Levites didn't kick in the door of the people to get their free will offerings. And neither did Christians. But the Pharisees did under Herod. And Romans... While they didn't originally in Rome, by the time it became an empire, they did. And if you wouldn't sign up, they outlawed foreign religion about 150. It's in the article. I can't remember exactly when it was. They outlawed foreign religion, and Christianity was a foreign religion. Of course, modern Christians, they're they're not all that foreign. (laughs) Modern Christian churches are corporations of the state, so they're not foreign. They've already bowed down, and they've become part of the system. And the fact is, the modern Christian church, they do some charity. But like I say, the early church did it all. They took care of all faith, hope, and charity of the needy of their society. And you have to do that, unspotted by the world. This is what he's saying. It's all in there. It's all in the Bible, but people aren't listening. People may ask, how do we covet our neighbor's goods? As modern Christians, because that's what I'm saying. Modern Christians cover their neighbors' goods. Let's do these these systems. Let's take it away from Social Security. Let's take it into the public school arena. My kids didn't go to public school. They were all home taught. I have six kids, all raised, 12 years of schooling. Actually, if you count daycare and (laughs) kindergarten, you're talking 14 years of schooling. Used to be, at the time we first started this, it was $6,000 plus per student. Per year, so that's times six. That's a lot of money per year. Well, now it's over ten thousand in local school, and in some schools throughout the country, you can go as high as twenty thousand per student. Anyway, it comes to over half a million dollars. Would it cost the taxpayer if I had sent my kids to school? Because they would have had to foot that bill. Uh, well, during that period of time, I was paying property tax in. At most, it probably amounted to about forty or fifty thousand dollars in property tax, which paid for the school, and there were other taxes that we were paying, but it it wasn't half a million. So, you know, because I actually I never went to public school myself either, so I didn't go, my kids didn't go, <laughs> and we never ate at the trough of the tribe for our education. We we were educated. All of my kids were educated at home. But doing simple math, that comes up with somebody had to come up with an additional $450,000 for my kids if I had sent them to public school. Who's going to pay that? My neighbor. And if they don't pay it, I'm going to take their home away from them through the agency of government, all legally, but I'm going to force them to contribute to my child's education. And now people are all up in arms about health care. Oh, health care. This is a terrible system and I'm losing and I'm not going to. It's going to cost you more. I, we, we just posted recently to everybody on the Living Network some real interesting doctor's uh, videos on health care and insurance and showing you how you are getting absolutely ripped off even before health care. 
this this new Obamacare they have in America uh, or in the United States, you are getting ripped off. And we we can show you how you can lower your medical bills by half or a third uh, or uh, two thirds, lower it down to a third of what they are now. And but you have to actually be seeking the kingdom. You have to be seeking the righteousness of God. And actually, we can even show you how you can eliminate your, in some cases, eliminate your medical bills because there are remedies that don't cost you anything that can actually provide you with better health. But it's a case-by-case basis. We can't, we don't have time to go into that. But basically, this is coveting your neighbor's goods. And people squeal now at the new health care that everybody's going to have to go get. But nobody squealed at the fact that every, uh, we were paying for your child's education, but we were teaching our children at home. Wow. Wow. And we weren't very good at it. We, we didn't have any experience. If we did this generation after generation, we could get better and better at it. And the tools are all available. But you have to actually be seeking the righteousness of God. It's not just seeking the kingdom. It's seeking the righteousness. You know, I, I've got guys that think they're in the kingdom and they're ambassadors and to the kingdom, da, 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 da. but the, they aren't doing this. They don't even take care of their family. It's just a joke. They're, they're not doing what Christ said. So anyway, I don't understand how some could desire benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other. And you already heard me read that Christ said it was not to be that way with us without coveting their neighbor's goods because that is where the benefits come from. They come from your neighbor. They force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. If we all did that, soon the country would be bankrupt and our children would be cursed with paying an unpayable debt to those men who call themselves benefactors. And then I write here in the article, oh, wait, that has already happened. Yes, you've already gone down that road. And now I'm telling you, repent and let's go back. And we have a link right there for not-so-secure socialism, which explains how the system works. We have a number of articles that explain how it works. And how is it in opposition to what Christ preached to begin with? Because the early church, even 200 years ago, if, if you had a need, you didn't go to the government. You went to church. That's where you went. But now they're building buildings and they're putting in sound systems. And if you actually need anything that's important, they send you to the government. Two men who exercise authority, one over the other. This is why Janice Roger Brown says, Regarding Social Security today, senior citizens blithely cannibalize their children. They take a bite out of their children by cursing them with debt because they have the right to get as much free stuff. They have that right. I'm not saying they don't have the right to take that Social Security. I'm just saying what's happening when you do it. Everybody's complaining about the government not cutting the budget. What about you? Now, I'm not saying you have to stop taking your Social Security, but you should start turning around and start gathering together and doing it the way we used to do it in this country, the way we used to do it as Christians. Start taking care of one another. This is faith, open charity. And stop all this play charity where you go off and help somebody in Africa who probably knows more about the kingdom than you do because they're helping each other because they're this is what you find in poor countries. In poor countries, you actually find people helping one another. They're closer to the kingdom than you guys. And America is the big mission field in the world today. So join with us and start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Start turning around. 
I could give you several more quotes, but we're out of time on how the Bible talks about this cursing of your children and biting your children and devouring your children. But we'll have to do that in the next show of Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.